Hello and welcome to this special bonus episode of The Dairy Edge. Chagas are running a weekly Let's Talk Dairy webinar series, which is also being made available as a podcast. On this week's webinar, Stuart Childs discusses reduced crude protein in dairy cow diets. Uh, reduced protein, crude protein diets um, have become a requirement under derogation. And I suppose I'm just going to go through the rationale for that uh, decision by the department uh, as to whether that's going to have implications for people. Uh, and I suppose just maybe even for people that aren't in derogation, we'll say there's benefits maybe to do, doing this as well. So I suppose just to allay concerns, uh, I know of a couple of cases where people have had derogation inspections uh, for last year and have been caught out basically by the fact that they haven't fed the right protein level and are potentially going to be uh, excluded from derogation, which is going to have financial implications for them. So for the sake of getting the right uh, ration ordered or making sure that the right ration is ordered, uh, we could um, alleviate a few concerns maybe that people have. So I'm just going to go through a few slides here. Uh, as I said, it's um, it's actually a requirement since 2020. Um, as part of the review of the derogation there a few years ago, they started at 16%. Uh, and in 2021, they reduced it to 15%. Um, and I'll just go through that. So here, so. So I'm just, uh, as I said, talking about reduced crude protein diets. Um, the derogation requirement uh, brought it in basically that you cannot feed more than uh, 15% in concentrate feedstuffs to grazing livestock on your holding between the 1st of April and the 15th of September. Uh, and the records of the crude protein content of concentrate feedstuffs will have to be kept in accordance with Article 23, um, 1J, as, as uh, outlined by the nitrates derogation plan. So that's the, the reason for talking about this in the first place. Um, and I suppose what stock does it apply to is probably the most important thing for people to know. So generally speaking, we're talking about dairy diets from a dairy point of view. Um, I would, wouldn't expect that it would be a major concern for people that have cattle, because generally speaking, we wouldn't be feeding high levels of protein to stock that are over two years of age. And the rationale for that actually carries through to the dairy side as well, to a certain extent. So all bovines that are greater than two years of age uh, cannot be fed anything that's greater than 15% protein. Uh, crude protein from the 1st of April through to the 15th of September during the year. Livestock that are younger than that are not affected by it, so we'll say many people would be on uh, maybe 16-17% um, crude protein in dairy uh, calf rations, we'll say, for what they'd be feeding to zero to one stock, um, and that's okay if that, that is the case. Again, there's probably an argument that we can look at here in a minute as to whether that's necessarily justified or not even. So just on the, the, the ticking the boxes, I suppose, in terms of what uh, records are required. So I, I suppose it's important to point out that for every rule that said that ever existed, there's an exemption. Uh, and the exception to the rule for in relation to this high crude protein is that there are um, there are occasions, 2018 would be an example of it, where we would be able to justify feeding higher levels of protein during the um, that main grazing season. Uh, so the, the reality of it is, is that we are bound by the, that regulation to feed less than 15, 15% or less from the 1st of April through to the 15th of September, unless there are some circumstances. And that can actually, that may vary. Uh, 2018 was the drought year, obviously, as many people will remember. Um, and we needed higher levels of protein because grass protein just went through the floor uh, because of drought stress, etc. However, that can actually impact different areas of the country at different stages. So if there is a justification um, for to include higher level of protein at some point in time, 
an appropriate advisor is allowed to justify and certify that. So an appropriate advisor will be myself, maybe as a Chagask advisor, or generally speaking, you're going to be talking about feed millers. So your, your nutritionists that are working for the feed companies, they're going to maybe do some analysis or there will be some information coming back from us, maybe saying that grass protein has dropped off quite significantly in area due to drought stress. And as a result, crude proteins in the diet are gone below the required level. So roughly speaking, we're talking, generally speaking, I'd say 15% uh, is the dietary requirement for the dairy cow. Uh, it can be up to 17%. And um, so that's generally the reason that you're not looking for high levels of protein in the diet in, in during that period is that you're on a fairly high level of grass uh, consumed for most part. Uh, anywhere from three quarters up to maybe 90% of the diet coming from grazed grass. Uh, and when that is the case, there's actually quite a sufficient level of crude protein available. So we're talking about grass having a protein, crude protein content of anywhere between 16% to 28%, depending on the stage of the year. This time of the year, we're well around the 20s, 22 marks, no problem. So there's quite an adequate amount of protein going into the diet, and therefore there's no justification for feeding excess. Uh, in terms of the records that you have to keep, so there's quant the quantities of those of the feeds that you fed, uh, and actually individual invoices are, are being required um, for to prove, I suppose, that the each quantity that or each load that came had a particular protein level in it, um, and the type obviously is is dictating that then as well. So that's the the quantity and the type are, are more or less the one thing in terms of how much of what type of feed did you get, and I suppose the the tricky thing here is maybe retaining these for five years. Uh, feed compounders mightn't particularly like me saying it, but in general, they should be able to provide that data uh, going back that for those years um, if people will require it. So just moving on to the next piece then. Um, so what are the implications of this rule? I suppose if you're operating in a grass-based system, generally speaking, you're not looking at any. Um, because as I said, unless there are circumstances that are going to have uh, create a situation where grass proteins do drop very low, uh, we're not going to have an issue with protein levels in the diets throughout that great main grazing season. In fact, it could actually be a benefit to you. Um, initially, I suppose you will all be aware that there's a variation in cost uh, when we go from 14% to 16% to 18% as kind of the old standards used to be in terms of um, any, even the 20% protein diets that some people often can be using in the springtime. Uh, and that that obviously affects, we're generally looking at higher quality proteins in that scenario in terms of your soybean meals, which God only knows what price they are at the moment. I haven't uh, checked them there in the last couple of days, but um, dairy diets are costing anywhere up to 450, 460 a ton at the moment for some of the, depending on what ingredients are included on them. Generally speaking, they're floating around 400 to 410, I think. Um, so if we increase protein content there, that's going to add to the cost per ton as well. And the justification for that then is, is questionable. The big thing, I suppose, and it's something that I've often said to groups that I deal with myself, is that you have to realize that if an animal can't digest the protein, they actually have to dispose of it. And where it gets disposed is in the urine and the dung. And you'll see it in the form of the urine in particular, more so than the dung, I suppose. You see it in the dung patches as well, but urine patches get very, very heavily loaded with nitrogen that's um, broken down out of protein and passed out. Uh, and that causes the refusal then of grass as a result of, we'll say, very, very um, almost overloaded with protein. And we've, we see it sometimes as well when uh, 
We get fertiliser uptake after dry spells and cows start to get a bit unsettled with grass. It's just nitrogen coming into the grass, basically, um, and they're just a bit unsettled as a result of it. So actually, there's a big energy cost associated with the break breakdown of protein, which is known as deamination of, of protein, right? Uh, and where the deamination process is taking place, if we're putting in too much protein into the diet, we're causing the animals to have to break this down. And it has to send partition energy to the to the liver attack and to process the, the protein in there to put it into the urine and pass it out in both the urine and the dome. And as a result, that's actually drawing away from the energy level that's available for milk production or milk protein production as well. So the advantage, in fact, you could actually argue that because the grass proteins being the way that they are, that there's too much protein in the diet anyway, and that there is somewhat of a cost uh, associated with the breakdown of that. Uh, and even you, we may be surprised to think that uh, it could come, it could transpire that lower levels of nitrogen being applied at grassland level could actually, will actually feed back to this as, to a certain extent as well. There won't be that excess of protein um, necessarily in the grass. That's not to say that there'll be a lack of protein in, in the grass, but that there'll be a more balanced level of energy relative to protein in grass. And that what you're feeding then is going to complement that in terms of energy content and we'll actually be able to get a benefit from it from the point of view of the lower requirement for energy to break down protein will mean that there's more energy available for cows to either keep their body condition, which is probably the main thing that we would see where high protein diets are fed is that cows milk very, very hard uh, and they lose body condition because they're stripping the, their fat reserves in order to try to support this to a certain extent. Uh, and the other thing is that we might actually see an increase in, um, in milk production because we're no longer breaking down this protein and that energy is now available to the cow to uh, use for the conversion of milk protein into uh, or, uh, protein into milk protein. So just to summarize, very short one today, uh, derogation requires that you feed 15% crude protein diet or less from the 1st of April to the 15th of September each year. You must retain the records for five years. You can feed higher crude protein if justification for doing so and certified. So you can't just decide yourself that you need to go with higher protein. It'll have to be certified by an appropriate person or an appropriate advisor. Um, I suppose the, the, the reason for this being brought in under derogation, and, and many people have, have uh, complained about some of these things, I suppose, in terms of the derogation being used in relation to nitrates, or sorry, in relation to greenhouse gas emissions, etc. But looked our positives out of this for all and water quality is a, a big big issue for everybody and this is going to contribute to water quality as well so a one percent reduction in the crude protein percentage of dairy diets could potentially reduce nitrogen excretions by one percent how does that matter we might be asking so as i said going through that deamination process our uh, protein being our our end of our protein being uh, passed out in the dung and the urine that's contributing to basically increasing the nitrogen surplus. So if we think about it, we buy nitrogen fertilizer, we buy feed with crude protein in it. That's the nitrogen coming onto the farm. What goes out of the farm then is what we sell in the form of meat and milk, uh, milk in particular for dairy farms, obviously. Uh, and the nitrogen surplus that exists is the difference between what came in and what went out. And in general, uh, when we look at the high levels, we'll say higher levels of nitrogen usage on farms and high levels of, of feeding and crude protein feeding, 
Um, we generally see that that nitrogen surplus, there's no generally, it is that nitrogen surplus is going to be higher on those farms. Uh, and the implication for that is that there's a greater level of nitrogen now floating around in the soil because the fertilizer is being sprayed, the dung and the urine has been passed through the animal, the, the slurry maybe might have slightly higher level of um, nitrogen in it as well then as a result of that. Uh, and as a result, the nitrogen that's available to be leached out of the soil subsequently and move into the water bodies around our farms and, and um, localities is increased. So reducing that in surplus is coming by two ways in, in under the derogation, we'll say as it is it exists now. So our 10% reduction in fertilizer is going to mean that we have less fertilizer to spread, as you will know. And that means that there'll be less nitrogen surplus on the farm. The reduction in the crude protein in the diet then as well is meaning that again, we're reducing that in inputs into the farm. So what's coming in the gate, it doesn't impact None of this should impact on the in output in terms of the crude pro, of the milk protein that's sold off or the body weight that's sold off in, the, in a cattle situation or even cold cow situation. And this would mean that our in surplus will reduce and this should contribute to reducing the volume of nitrogen that could potentially move into water bodies. The other advantage then is, as I said, the, some people are uh, complaining maybe about the derogation being used in terms of greenhouse gases and ammonia emissions, we'll say, so the, the kind of gas emissions uh, associated with agriculture, but this is uh, just a, a, an offshoot of it or an advantage of it, that that 1% reduction in crude protein could potentially be reducing uh, greenhouse gas and ammonia emissions by 5% as well. So like if we take it that we have moved from 16 to 15, um, that means that we're getting that 1% and 5% if we move from 15 to 14, which there probably isn't any major difference in terms of what cows are going to do uh, on foot of that. Uh, and in fact, um, there are people operating with 13% protein diets uh, quite comfortably. Uh, all things being equal, we can actually achieve a further reduction in terms of the nitrogen losses there, I suppose, and, and a further reduction in greenhouse gas and ammonia emissions as well. So it's a positive move. Um, to summarize it, I suppose, for people that maybe have been operating at the 16% diet, maybe all through the summers in the past, uh, of which there were many. Don't think there were too many probably operating at 18s, but there has been probably a tendency for people to try to buy higher protein diets in the belief that it's going to give them more milk. It does give them more milk uh, in terms of volume, potentially, or it can give you more milk in terms of volume, but it comes at a severe cost to cows in terms of body condition. So lowering that protein doesn't necessarily have to reduce your milk output, but it will actually help maintain your cow's body condition, which will have a swing knock-on effect for fertility. Uh, we often get people asking questions about high levels of uh, milk, urea, nitrogen, and how that's impacting on embryo losses, et cetera. Uh, and again, all of the reductions in terms of fertilizer and both, and, and this um, implement here into our, this, uh, this um, ruling here in terms of the 15% crude protein is actually going to be a benefit in terms of reducing the uh, amount of almost luxury nitrogen that's sloshing around inside the cow uh, at this time of year. Um, and while I have already said that the grass protein can actually be a, a, at a level that's possibly in excess, uh, it doesn't seem to have the same effect as uh, it would have in a, in a house situation if we were loading in protein into a diet. 
uh, it has it seems to have a different effect in in a grazing system there's just something about the way grass is metabolized that means it doesn't seem to have the same effect so in general i suppose to just summarize that that ruling it's a high crude high there, we have high crude protein in grass throughout the period that we're required not to feed the higher than the 15 percent so it shouldn't be a concern for people to be uh to be worried about or uh, not to be worried about this at all in fact it is probably a positive move for both you and your stock so it's a it's an advantage to the pocket in terms of reducing the um the requirement for protein so just a question in there not exactly on the topic as as the as the person has put it so um can i explain the dip in milk fat that occurs in april may fat percentage nearly as low as protein percentage Maybe it's a topic for next week. Um, you could argue. Uh, so, but I, I, look, I'll deal with it here. It's common enough uh, occurrence. We'll say we get it, we get that dip in, pro, in in milk fat as we move into second round. Generally speaking, uh, higher um, PDs for fat and in in dairy herds will mitigate against it to a certain extent. It doesn't eliminate it, so it does occur. Um, however, herds that have a high um, percentage fat pr pr protein percentage, or sorry, a high predicted transmissibility for in their genetics for fat are far more robust against this. So they get a dip, it's very short lived, they recover and they, they get back to normal. Uh, herds that have lower PDs for protein or for fat generally, and some of them can be very extreme, can be very significantly affected for quite a period of time. And as, as the questioner has pointed out there, milk fats can drop as low as milk proteins uh, for a period of time. Generally speaking, it's driven by the, the two things, really. You're, you're going into a lusher, softer type of grass, maybe. Um, and also around this time of year, uh, we tend to get the kind of maybe harsher, drier weather. Uh, and there's a waxiness can come on grass. And basically what it is, is a, an adjustment in a kind of a self-preservation method many people will see grass going slightly purple at the tips as well at the moment that's all part of that self-preservation mode that it's in because it's under a bit of stress at the moment because of kind of colder harsh frosty nights maybe and as i said a, a quite a significant east wind around this part of the country and of late uh, and it causes the fatty acid profile of grass to change somewhat and it basically the rumen has to adjust to deal with that uh, and for some reason, the uh, the genetics is a key part to dealing with it. So selecting hard for to improve fat percentages in your herd is an, is a, an important method to trying to mitigate against that drop in milk fat in, in the future. Lots of people get very bothered about uh, acidosis and so forth. Um, it generally isn't related to acidosis, to be honest. Um, and we actually, I, there's a small little bit of work after being done in Moorpark uh, last year that I'm hoping to get my hands on there. No, it's just for one year's data. So it's it's trying to uh, mimic the exact concerns that you've raised there in terms of milk fat drop. And it's just showing that the initial stuff will be showing that there's been no impact in rumen health, which is a big concern that a lot of people have when they see these um, milk fats dropping. Um, Generally, look, if people are worried about it, I suppose a little bit of hair, a little bit of straw available if people are concerned. My experience of that in the past is that cows will pick away a little bit of it, but they won't pick a lot of it because it's not a rumen health issue. 
if it is a rumen health issue, you will find that they will go through uh, a significant quantity of straw or hay in order to try to get rumen, enough fiber into their diet, basically, to try to create the buffering conditions that they need in their rumen to, to try to deal with the acidosis issue. If there is a significant issue with acidosis, and as I said, it's very rare, um, your vet will probably be telling you about it because you'll have cows that are quite sick with it. And, and a buffer may be potentially required in that situation. So look, as I said, I might come back to that uh, a little bit late, maybe covering it. Um, I'll see if I can get it in for next week, actually, uh, if I can get that piece of work and, and go through it there, just because it is, it's a as, a, as one guy described it yesterday, April has been a long pull, and I think it's been a, a that kind of a, a kind of a tricky um, April in terms of milk fats. And again, that group yesterday, their milk fats were, were dipping below fours, um, which is probably the first group that I come across that had been running into that kind of issue uh, in the last couple of weeks, really. So I just, uh, as I said, I'll try and pick that up next week. Um, I was looking at maybe doing a little bit of dairy beef stuff next week, but we might leave that go to the following week. Uh, so we'll pick up on that next week if I can. Um, and thanks for tuning in today. I hope you got benefit of that. No concern in relation to feeding lower crude protein diets. Drive on. Um, make sure that you order. Uh, generally speaking, the compounder shouldn't be issuing you anything else. I know on one particular co-op in this area that they're no longer doing a 14 and a 16. They're all 15 or less so you can get lower if you want it but you won't be able to get a 16 anyway because it won't be available and um, so that's an important point as i said one person that i know of has been cut out by that uh, and is in potential uh danger zone of, of being uh, excluded from derogation which is obviously going to have implications so thanks for tuning in and i wish you all well for the week and we'll talk to you next week thank you that's all for this week's Let's Talk Dairy webinar series. And don't forget to look out for more bonus episodes each week. I'll be back with our usual Dairy Edge interview on Monday, so do listen in then. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey, and thanks for listening.